Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. That's Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. Oh my goodness, so much happening in softball. Alabama takes two out of three from Tennessee. Oklahoma sweeps Team Mexico. The SEC is going haywire, Tom. The RPI should be out. I don't know. I've seen one ranking that might be what's going on, but not the official NCAA.com ranking. I don't really know. Do you have any grasp of the situation in softball or life right now? Because I'm very stressed out. <laughs> no, not really. Yeah, we're kind of just just uh, being as flexible as we can um, and not really knowing what's happening. All I know is that I feel like I, I should read another statement of regret about my support of Mississippi State softball. Do you feel bad about that? I don't know. Maybe I gave them too much pressure. I don't I don't know what it is, but it's it's not going well over in Starkville. Well, we'll get to that later. That is a part of the show. But yeah, first, yeah. we will start at the plate and talk about Alabama, again, taking two out of three from Tennessee, winning the battle, but maybe lost the war with Bailey Dowling. We believe it is very serious. We're going to relay what Patrick Murphy told us in pregame. We don't have an official diagnosis yet. We assume it might be out by the time you hear this. But obviously, Tom, it was the lead story for Alabama this weekend, losing Bailey Dowling to injury on what was just a brutal play over at first. Yeah, uh, does not look good. And one of the reasons why, and this is something I saw uh, put out there, why Bailey Dowling was having to wait until Monday to get an MRI. That is standard operating procedure. When you have uh, a knee injury, you have to wait for the swelling to go down before you can get uh, get an MRI. So that's that's why there wasn't, It's if it was a football player, it'd be the same thing. It just takes a couple of days before you can really get the MRI. You're also having to get an X-ray on there. So there's a lot of stuff. It has to be done. Just an absolutely brutal play. We talked with Patrick Murphy about it. Usually with injuries, Patrick Murphy is, he'll be as optimistic as possible. Uh, But in the pregame on Sunday, he said it didn't look good. So uh, we're kind of going along with that, that thought process. And it's obviously, it's obviously a huge deal. She was the leader for Alabama in both home runs and RBIs. She was just a great compliment to Bailey Hemphill and, and Kaylee Tao, and it, it totally changes the Alabama offense if she's not in there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're going to dive more into that in just a moment. That's just at the plate, folks. And we're going right. to advance to first and talk about a wild weekend in the SEC. The Arkansas thing might be real. We were into it, and now maybe we're not, <laughs> considering <laughs> what it means for Alabama. We'll really dive into that. We've also got, of course, the FGCL Player of the Week. We've given it to five different players. Will we have our first repeat winner? We'll see. That's coming up. And then, Tom, we will steal second with our dear friends from In the Circle. It is the Out of the Box In the Circle crossover event. Basically, I guess a pitch is thrown and we are brought together. The two of us, Eric Lopez, Victor Anderson, it will be a stealing second segment unlike anything we have ever done on this show. It is not a straight-up interview. It is not a bunch of questions. It is basically a debate slash conversation piece, which I'm sure will go well. Yeah, a lot of fun. I'm, really, I'm looking forward to talking with those guys. They've uh, they've seen a lot of softball this year and kind of seen it from a little bit different perspective. So uh, it'll be fun to, to talk with them and uh, see what they're thinking from the southern to middle of Florida. That wild state that we try yes. not to set foot in. <laughs> <laughs> Things usually don't go well. Then we will round third. Tom, we're going to play a little on second thought and go back over our landmines and gold mines from earlier in the year and see how we feel about it. And honestly, 
I feel really good about one, but there are two I don't like for me, and I think it's probably the same for you. Yeah, I think I'm feeling okay with two out of the three, but yeah, okay. we'll uh, we'll just talk about it. It would have been three out of three, I assume. If yes, yes, yeah. it would have. The RPI was supposed to be officially released today. Now, as we are recording, folks, we are recording way earlier than normal. That's because there is a little basketball game tonight that we want to watch. So we are not trying to stick around the office after eight o'clock. But let's move this along. Exactly. <laughs> but so when you hear this, we could either be really happy or really sad because it'll be the next day. I might just be waking up from the couch or something after sleeping there and drowning in <laughs> tears. Hopefully not. But either way, if the RPI is officially released after we go tonight, be aware of that. Uh, it looks in the mock-ups that I've seen like Alabama and LSU and UCLA are going to be some order of the top three, maybe Florida around there as well. And that kind of seems like about right, I would say. Right, Tom? Yeah, I think so. It's kind of as we've been talking about this entire time. And usually the RPI will, you know, there'll be some teams that'll be uh, mixed up and a little bit higher, a little lower than we're expecting. But uh, usually the RPI uh, shakes out about the way that we think. Yeah, so we'll talk more about that just a little bit, and then we'll go over some of the big non-conference games in the SEC. The Pac-12, again, has some big stuff going. And Oklahoma finally starts Big 12 play, Tom. Go oh, good. I'm sure they'll be really challenged. Yes. And then we will head home. We've got picks Tom has a lead. We'll go into that more. He might still have a lead by two or by one by the end of the night. We'll see what happens in Baton Rouge. And then we've also, of course, got off the wall because Alabama lost Tom and the same seven people popped up in my notes once again. At this point, I'm hoping these are not real people. I'm hoping that they are like burner accounts from Auburn fans or, or somebody that doesn't like Alabama and that these are not real Alabama fans; that they are actually burner accounts for people that that are that are trying to troll us. I really, I I am holding out hope that that is the case at this point. Well, then, in that case, a couple of them need to remove the children from their profile pictures because that's creepy. Yeah, <laughs> messed up. Yeah. All right, Tom. Let's start the plate. Alabama takes two of three from Tennessee but loses Bailey Dowling. This was on Saturday. This was, I believe, in the top of the second inning, right? right? And, man, it was – I was doing TV, you were doing radio, so unfortunately this is one of those moments where we both got to call something we didn't want to call. And I know for me it was really difficult to kind of remain neutral and address the situation as it was happening while also just thinking about Bailey. And you, you, you could hear how painful it was for her – it was just a tough situation all the way around. And, you know, it's just not what you want to see. I mean, she was having such a great year and, you know, again, no official diagnosis yet, but right now I am under the assumption that at best we would maybe see Bailey in the postseason if there was something crazy that happened, but it certainly doesn't look good. And it really does cloud what was a remarkable start to the first half of the year for the freshman. Yeah, it really was. Uh, she was on her way to uh, possibly winning some awards and was just, like I said, just a, a key cog to this Alabama offense, uh, leading the team in both home runs and RBIs. I tend to think that eventually Bailey Hemphill would have overtook, overtaken her, even if you know Dowling was there the entire time in both those categories. But just the fact that she is there, she had such such great presence as a freshman to have the type of games that she had, like – thinking back to the Auburn series 
when on Sunday she had her first two at bat, she came up with the bases loaded and, and then two runners on her second time with two outs and got out both those times. So she had left five runners on by herself in the third at bat to be able to come back in basically the same situation and hit a three run homer. Just kind of showed you what type of how mature she is mentally, despite just being a freshman and, and what she was able to bring to this team. It's, it's just so, it was so brutal to watch, like you said. Uh, one thing I will say, I know we kind of get, we kind of call out the social media people a lot, but I will say uh, one of the positive things about all this is the people that have talked to us and people I've seen on social media for the most, like 95% of them, they're not worried about what this means for Alabama about missing her bat in the lineup or, you know, how does this affect the team? They're more worried about Bailey as a person. And like, is she, is she going to be okay? And I think that's really a kind of a testament to the type of relationship that the Alabama softball team has with its fans. It's not about them just as players, it's about them as people. And then we're not able to have the face-to-face interaction this year that we normally do with, uh, with the fans and the team is able to do, but they're still able to keep that alive via the, the social media. And I think that's, that's been really, really nice to see. And, Bailey was at the game on Sunday, seemed in pretty good spirits, and uh, hopefully it can be something that Patrick Murphy said in the pregame interview. It's not he doesn't want someone to go out there and try to do more than what they normally do or win one for the Gipper, but hopefully it'll be something that maybe the team can kind of rally around for. Yeah, you mentioned uh, face-to-face contact, and that to me is one of the things I'm going to remember from her freshman year was Friday night the home run against Ashley Rogers. And then something that I missed, I don't know if you saw it, but Amanda Scarborough pointed it out to me over text. And then I saw it often on Saturday when we rolled the package from game one was Dowling as she came home, put her hands around Claire Jenkins face and talked to her before the 14 pitch walk in that inning. And that to me says so much about what she means to the team about where her place is as a freshman that she felt confident and comfortable enough to talk to one of the graduate leaders on the team and give her advice on how to hit Ashley Rogers and, and also how the rest of the team respected and responded to her. It's such a massive loss in so many ways. And I know um, you just talked about the social media aspect and how people were asking about Bailey and, I do appreciate that, but at the same time, one of the jobs we do have to do, Tom, is talk about what this means going forward. And, you know, without Bailey Dowling, it is hard for me to imagine Alabama at the Oklahoma-UCLA level right now. I'm not saying they can't get back there, but it's going to take some time to tinker with the lineup and find out what works to get back to that scary place. Because at the end of the day, you just lost your best power hitter by the numbers and your best RBI producer by the numbers. And that's really tough to replace. As far as the SEC, uh, Alabama goes from being the prohibited pra- favorite to one of the favorites in the conference. And as far as nationally, I think I think we're down to the big two. I think it's UCLA and Oklahoma. I think Alabama is still can be a World Series type team. And if you get to the World Series, you can win the World Series. I don't think we should put away the bats and, and just try again next year at this point. Wait, Tom, think, are, should we opt out? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I don't think we should opt out. I think, you know, uh, I think Alabama, like I said, has a, a still has a good shot at winning the conference. If anyone can figure out how to put the best lineup out there to try to try to get through this is Patrick Murphy. I think Alabama is, like I said, they have a still have 
a good chance of winning the conference. And if you can win the SEC, you can win the national championship. But it's it's basically it's become UCLA and Oklahoma and whoever of everybody else in the country, including now Alabama, needs some some help basically to be able to uh, get in that. Stranger things have happened, and let's say if you can get to Oklahoma City, give give it a shot. And I think you got you have the opportunity there, but it certainly is quite the blow for Alabama. Ideally, we would be in the situation where the lineup is solidified, everything works out. We know what we're doing every single game. That's just not going to be the case. There's going to be some testing here and there. Savannah Woodard was great this past weekend. What happens when she has an offer? weekend in conference play if she does I mean there are just a lot of things that have to be toyed around and that's the reality of the situation so I think what I'm saying Tom is we just request patience from the Alabama fans it will be really tough for this team now to win games 12 nothing 10 nothing against conference foes yeah and it you know it's hard to do that anyway in the SEC but that was way more likely with somebody like Bailey Dowling in the lineup now Alabama loses that automatic home run threat every time she's at the plate and it's just going to have to lead to some kind of change game plan wise roster wise lineup wise but the team is going to have to work through some things the next couple weeks for sure we still don't know the time frame for jenna johnson's return but assuming she is not available for the next few weeks i foresee there being two options in general i think you can either do uh maybe somewhat of the lineup that we saw on Sunday against Tennessee, where Lexi Kilfoyle is the DP and is hitting for herself even when she's pitching. And you hope that with the game reps that she will continue, she will kind of continue to uh, develop and evolve into that power and consistent threat that we know that she has the capability of being at the plate. And again, if you know, hitting for herself, if you also have a DP in there, that also kind of that muddies the waters as far as if you can take her out of the game pitching wise, that type of thing. So there's still that that you'll have to go around. So you can either do that and, and hope that Kilfoyle somewhat replaces Dowling with the power threat, or you can go with a real small ball type lineup, cat grill at the, at the DP maybe, uh, or in the, in the field, moving some people around and just go the, with the manufacturer and slapping uh, speed game, which Alabama is very capable of doing. Um, you could argue that's been more successful than the power right. this year. Yeah, you could definitely do that. So I think those are your two best options, but we, we will see. Patrick Murphy knows more about Team 25 and more about softball in general than you, I, and anyone listening to this podcast probably put together. So if he goes with option three, none of the above, I will defer to, to, his, <laughs> to, to his knowledge and assume that it's the right place. So um, that there, there are certainly other ways you can go with it, but I think just thinking offhand, those are my two best options in my opinion. Did you say if? I think you mean when, Tom, because right. we, yeah. have, we have been wrong a lot over the years. All right, anything else you want to touch on about the Tennessee series? I know we spent a lot of time talking about the Dowling injury. Obviously really good for Alabama to come back and win. I thought Montana Fouts was great on Sunday. I feel like most of the topics coming out of that weekend we've covered. So is there anything else you want to touch on before we move on? Props to Alabama for coming back after after that in, after the injury to Dowling. Tennessee had all the momentum, all the energy had been drained out of the stadium because everyone was, you know, I just saw one of the Alabama's best players get injured. All the energy had drained out. Tennessee had the momentum. They had the lead. But then Lexi Kilfoyle really bore down in the circle, and Alabama's offense re- really stepped up. Savannah Woodard, like you said, 
had had a two a two for four coming in when, in a game she didn't even know she was going to play in. So I, and it was really at the bottom of the lineup, and we saw the bottom of the lineup again on Sunday. You know, top of the order goes 0 for 11 with one RBI walk, and Alabama wins the game three nothing. Alabama found found ways to win on what could have been a very you could be maybe even an understandable time to lose and Alabama didn't do that. So a lot of credit, I think, to uh, the team for the mental toughness and for, and the coaching staff as well. Yeah. And I think as well, a really good sign because we haven't seen Alabama have to respond to adversity very much this year. And, and frankly, when they have, it hasn't gone super well. So it was good to see Alabama, not just come back after the injury, but to really take control and dominate that game. Tennessee had some chances you know, right after it immediately in the second and third inning. But for the most part, Alabama shut them down and, uh, and took advantage of, uh, of Tennessee seemingly not playing with the energy they probably needed. And really good adjustments against Ashley Rogers and, you know, the second time seeing her uh, after, you know, having, having a lot of issues in game number one. Yes. As I pointed out, Ashley Rogers entered in on Sunday with 12 walks and 114 strikeouts, and Alabama walked three times and struck out twice. Really well done by that Alabama offense. Before we move on to this week, a quick evaluation of Tennessee, because we're not going to talk about them when we advance to first. I am a big fan of this team. I think that they've got a lot of possibility, but it all depends on if somebody can help Ashley Rogers. If she has to pitch every single big inning, if she is running to the ground, Tennessee is to me not a threat to neither win the SEC nor maybe make a deep postseason run. If Callie Turner, Sam Bender, one of those pitchers can kind of come on and give her just a little bit of assistance, then I see Tennessee being a much more viable postseason option. Yeah, I agree. And I thought Turner pitched pretty well in game number two. But just the second time through the order, Alabama was able to make those adjustments. And so, yeah, you're going to have to see her be able to make quicker adjustments in the circle. If she's able to do that, I can see them being able to do it. Uh, the main thing, I think they have a lot of hitters that can get on base. The problem is they're not knocking anybody in once they get on base. Uh, so, obviously, those those situationals are going to have to improve a whole lot. But, you know, going through the first two weekends against two of the top teams in the conference, their main issue was – runners in scoring position, not knocking them in. Right. All right, this week for Alabama, a midweek against North Alabama. We hope. The wind, the rain, it all comes every Wednesday, Tom. I'm not sure why. I'd rather it come in the midweek than on the weekend, but can we just just play some games, please? Do you remember spring 2020 where every day it was perfect? Every day. Sitting, sitting at home, looking outside and saying, wow, beautiful outside. Can't go anywhere, pandemic. If only. (sighs) Things look better this weekend in Lexington. Alabama hits the road, takes on Rachel Lawson, takes on Kentucky. The Fighting Enigmas are hosting the Crimson Tide, Tom. And with the situation being the way it is, you said this on Sunday, and I I completely agree. This will probably be one of the weekends where there's the most pressure there has been all year on the pitching staff to be shut down. And we really need to see good Montana, good Lexi. Actually, check that. Great Montana, great Lexi this weekend against a really good offense that Kentucky has. Yeah, uh, because Alabama at this point, until they figure out what the lineup is without Bailey Dowling, they they can't afford to get into slugfest. Alabama has to keep the game low scoring. Games are going to have to – Alabama's got to win games like they did on Sunday. 
get the time, string to, string together hits. Even if your hit total doesn't become, you know, real high, get all the same hit, get get the hits all in the same inning, so that you're knocking in some runs, and your pitching staff's going to have to continue doing what they're doing and uh, keeping the opponents off the board. Sunday was hard, folks. It was hard to call because the nerves were there. It was probably hard to watch for a lot of Alabama fans. And I'm not saying every game is going to be like that, but there is a, to me, a very strong possibility that most of the games that we play, win or lose, over the next couple weeks are going to feel a lot like that. And again, it is just the reality of the situation and patience is key. But like we just talked about, that means Fouts and Kilfoyle have to be really good. So are you in favor once again of Saturday, Monday fouts, or do you give Kilfoyle the ball for game one and three? Or does it depend, honestly, on what the batting order looks like? Maybe it does. Maybe that's that's how it all is figured out. Because I Lexi seemed to handle it fine at Auburn, uh, but you're going on the road against a team that has a much better offense in Kentucky. So I think it, it just depends on which matchup Murph likes. Yeah, I think there's a little something to Fouts coming home yeah. that makes me want her to get the ball game one sure. and game three. If I remember right, Kaylee Tao won player of the week after Alabama played at Kentucky in 2018. So we've uh, we've put it in play. I think um, for the final time, we should be Bailey 100%. Dowling. We love you, Bailey, and we uh, we hope you get well soon. We hope the recovery goes well, and we hope we see you on the field very, very, very soon. It was tough to hear Coach Murphy in the pregame interview on Sunday uh, refer to Bailey Dowling having had the opportunity to play with the seven seniors uh, in in a past tense type of way. So that was uh, kind of one of those things. That it was it's a heartbreaker, but you know we've we've seen teams rally around injured players. We've seen injured players still be able to be major contributors. And I think Bailey is going to be that uh, for the rest of the year. So in her honor, we are Bailey Dowling and we're advancing to first here on the Out of the Box podcast. When we come back, oh my gosh, Arkansas is 6-0. What does this mean? Let me tell you folks, it's not good for Alabama. We'll talk about it when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back. It's time to advance the first here on the Out of the Box podcast. That is Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. We love to talk about the SEC. Tom, we've been accused of SEC bias, and I think that's maybe a fair criticism since it's literally the league we cover, so the league we talk about the most. But, I mean, hey, why not want to talk about this league? Because, my goodness, every weekend I feel like it's something different. Yeah, I mean, I think it's obvious by, you know, top to bottom, uh, this is a, the league that most has the capability of anyone beating anybody else. You uh, you, you have a, a top tier and a bottom tier, but um, even that bottom tier can rise up and get one or two every once in a while. Unless you're Mississippi State, right? Uh, well, yeah, that's yeah. And you score one run over the first six games, and that will not get it done. See, fans complaining about Alabama's hitting should look at the bigger picture. Oh my gosh, that's not where we're going to start, though. We're going to start in Fayetteville. Arkansas sweeps Ole Miss, starts SEC play 6-0. We both had Arkansas in our top fives in the post-media days top five, I believe, in the preseason SEC power rankings. And now, Tom, I think it is becoming clear that this Arkansas thing is real. 
6-0 in SEC play. And the next two weeks, folks, Mississippi State at home and at Auburn. There is a strong chance Arkansas could be 11-1 and at worst when Alabama goes to Fayetteville in a couple weeks. Yeah, I'm not really looking forward to that trip right now, um, despite the fact that – or maybe even – Adding to the fact that we know it'll be like 40 degrees. Uh, it's not going to be a lot of fun going there to begin with. That's a heck of a team that's been put together there. And uh, they got the one-two punch of half and storms. We actually saw uh, Bloom getting the start on Sunday against Ole Miss, and she pitched well. So the pitching is coming to form. And then Daniel Gibson, like she's getting to the point where he just don't even want to pitch to her either. So there, there's several of those in the lineup for Arkansas. And that's a, that's a rough go of it if you're anybody else. Yeah, Daniel Gibson in game two, home run to tie, walk off double to win it in the eighth. Then, you know, Hannah McEwen was back. Braxton Burnside was actually kind of bad this week, but still proved to be the tying run in game three. And Autumn Storms is back from injury and got the win in game three, came in, got the start in game two and pitched really well. Uh, Mary Half, I think right now Tom is front runner for SEC Pitcher of the Year. If she keeps doing what she's doing, she went eight and two thirds, seven hits, one run. It was unearned, no walks, eight strikeouts, a two and zero record this week. I think by the time you hear this podcast, dear listener, Mary Half will be your SEC Pitcher of the Week. The the thing about this Arkansas offense is that they don't rely on one person. You know, like I said, if Burnside has a bad weekend. That doesn't mean that the offense just goes in the tank. Um, that they are very scary from top to bottom in that lineup, uh, combined with the pitching that they have, and uh, you know this this early schedule, uh, it, it's in it's in their favor for sure. That makes it, yeah, I agree. I think Arkansas is at worst eleven and one when Alabama goes uh, to Fayetteville in, in a few weeks. And Alabama fans, anything better than eleven and one? Maybe ten and two? Maybe I don't even know how. Maybe nine and three just be thrilled with that because that's about the best case scenario. We heard about it from Courtney Diefel. She seemed excited. We loved her because she was so excited. Now we see why. And that excitement had some actual substance behind it. We've heard from some coaches who were pumped and it just hasn't panned out this year. Courtney Diefel said she had something brewing. I mean, you could hear it in her answers that she felt like they had something for real and fable, and that is right now proving to be the case. Yeah, when you do when you do media days like we did, it's kind of like you know when you when the coaches all do their press conference in football on recruiting, you know, on signing day, everyone's going to say they like their recruiting class. Everyone's going to say that we're, we really like where we're at. Everybody's internally optimistic at that point, uh, but and so we, we saw that from a few of the coaches during the media days, but that there was a little something different with Courtney Diefel. You got, you could tell that she knew she had something if everything came together and it certainly has here early on. All right. Anything to add about Ole Miss before we move on? I think it was a good sign for the rebels that they were in essentially all three games this weekend and, and really probably should have won game three. They had that lead very late. If you're three and three right now, you're Jamie Traxel. Uh, I think you're you're pretty happy with it. You don't like how it happened. You don't like getting swept after getting the sweep and get in week number one. Uh, but I think you're you're in pretty good shop. And I think Ole Miss is maybe a little bit better than we thought, and might might be out of that. You know, the bottom three, bottom four in the conference. We'll see what happens here in the next couple of weeks. The team that Ole Miss swept in week one got swept again. 
Florida takes all three against Mississippi State. A one nothing game, a ten nothing game, and eight nothing game. Mississippi State has now been outscored thirty seven to one in SEC play. Tom, I cede the floor to you as the resident Mississippi State fanboy. You retracted your fandom and bandwagonness last week. This week, do you have anything further to add? Are you retiring from the podcast? How does this work? What happens next? <laughs> I, I hope I don't get my yeah my podcasting license revoked if that if that was a thing. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I need to, like I said, I need to read another statement of regret on uh, picking Mississippi State as high as I did. I don't understand it. How how can you have two of the scariest batters in all the conference and score one run through the first six games? I don't. It does not make any sense to me. I don't know what has happened to Mia and Fa and company. You know, we. I, I was certainly concerned when they needed to walk off Alcorn State, and uh, it's it's as though it's just gone downhill since then. Yes, Alabama shut them out when they came to Tuscaloosa. But you could see where the offense would be successful if you're Mississippi State. But something yeah. has happened since then. I don't know what it is, but I, it's just I, I'm I'm very confused, and it doesn't get any easier for them because, like I say, I got to go go to Arkansas next weekend. So, yikes! This Mississippi State team is a shell of itself, a shell of a team that we saw in Tuscaloosa a couple weeks ago. And I, I don't know, I don't know what happened. I, that was a team that was playing well, that was hitting well. They had had a couple losses the weekend before, but all against, you know, quality competition. And they were in every single one of those games. I mean, I can't imagine this Mississippi state team coming back from being down eight, one to Texas, like they did a couple weeks ago. I don't know what happened. I don't even know what, the, what needs to be fixed except maybe everything. I don't know. If you just, but Mississippi State doesn't have elevated roster numbers like Missouri or some of these other teams in the league. They're more in an Alabama situation. So they're kind of stuck with what they've got. They just have to find a way to work through it. And boy, this was a, it was just a bad look. I mean, five errors Saturday, three errors on Sunday. The defense was bad. The hitting was bad. Elizabeth Hightower is good. But to not put up a run against this Florida pitching staff at all when, you know, you were getting a couple hits here and there. It It's really just baffling. And I don't know how we got here. And I don't know how we get out of it if I, if we're Mississippi State. I, I have no idea. Yeah, it makes no sense. I, I mean, game number one, you hold Florida to one run. Your pitching staff gave you every opportunity to win that game. Not able to get it done there. It was one nothing for a long time in game number two. There was a huge explosion of runs in the seventh inning for Florida. Uh, but again, you had gone at that point. 14 innings against Florida without without scoring a run. Hey, you you got to you got to find a way. You got to ban. If Mia and Fa aren't hitting the ball power wise, you got to manufacture a run somehow. Um, but it's just not been able to be done by by uh, Mississippi State, and it doesn't look like it's getting any better. And I do want to highlight Florida a bit. It was good to see for them the offense kind of pick back up. They had been kind of quiet the last couple games, but Hightower is pitching very well. Didn't want to super discredit her with what I said a bit ago. But, uh, yeah, 14 innings on the weekend. She appeared in all three games, nine hits, no runs, two walks, and ten strikeouts. I'm not exactly buying her as a top three pitcher in the conference, but she is more and more looking like Florida's ace for this conference season. Yeah, she wasn't overpowering, like you said, but she she 
does what she needs to do. And um, eventually I think this Florida offense is going to start scoring runs more consistently. And I think maybe we saw that toward the end again with those explosive innings against Mississippi State. So maybe we're going to see them be a little bit more consistent, putting up a few more runs. If they're able to do that, Hightower doesn't have to be pitcher of the year type, but you know, she just has to be good enough to not let the other team get ahead by too much. And Florida's offense is going to be fine. So that's kind of another reason why the Dowling injury hurts Alabama so much is that other teams are kind of figuring things out and starting to be more consistent while Alabama now has went from finally getting that lineup set with the return of KB sides and everything. And you felt really good to now they're going to be searching here for a little bit. Not the time, obviously you want to be doing that. Let's move on. Georgia takes two of three from Missouri, despite many, many errors. Georgia with 13 errors in the series, 13, and they won the series, Tom. That's amazing. That, it is amazing. And that to me only says one thing, and that is the pitch by committee did not work. And that is the one caveat and concern that we talked about when we made picks. We both had Missouri 2-1 in the series, but a team ERA of 7-9-7 for the Tigers. In game one, they held down the Georgia Bats, but the Bulldogs made adjustments in games two and three and really put up some big numbers on Missouri. Yeah, this is a just a crazy series. This I think now we're seeing this is what we're going to get from both Missouri and Georgia this year, just some wacky scores, some wacky games. Uh, that's what you're going to Drunk. Right. That's that's what we're talking. <laughs> Missouri and Georgia games will not make sense this year. That's just how it goes. Georgia, Oklahoma is going to be wild. Georgia and Missouri were both getting calzones at 2 a.m. with the way that series went. And once again, Nathan Sheehan is laughing somewhere. It, it was so crazy. I don't like how do you how do you commit 13 errors and win the series? How? I don't understand how that happens. How does the truth pitch? And there'd be slugfests and we somehow still win, win too. I don't, that, that whole series makes no sense to me. Now I feel as though we have three categories in the SEC. We have the top tier teams. We have some of the bottom tier teams. And then we have the enigmas and we have Missouri and Georgia has now joined Kentucky in that group of enigmas that can, that I, I have no idea. We will pick. Good. Wonderful. All of the, both of those teams in series later on. I'm sure it will make total sense and everything will be easy. Finally, final conference series to get to. LSU and Texas A&M, they split the first two. Herzog threw a gem in game one. LSU took game two, six, one. As we record, we're hours away from that being finalized. I did have LSU 2-1. You had an LSU sweep. And I think from you, at least based on the text that you and Nathan Sheehan sent me, it seemed like very genuine shock from you to see Texas A&M win game one. And I wasn't necessarily surprised. I guess I was more surprised it was game one that they won, but it was very shocking to see Herzog with a no hitter into the fourth or fifth inning and really shutting down the LSU bats all night long. And if that is what she can be consistently for Texas A&M, with the somewhat surprising offense that they've been able to put up so far, um, you know, losing two out of three at LSU is is, is not the wor- is not a terrible thing if you're te- Texas A&M. Getting the one and not getting swept, I think, is is a win for the Aggies. That they if if Herzog can be a true ace, which we saw glimpses of it. You know, we saw her at Florida State be really really good last year, kind of a wash with everything that happened. 
But, you know, if she can do that for A&M this year, they can threaten to move out of that bottom bottom part of the league. Yeah, I know that Joe Evans would love to be an enigma this year. I mean, considering the youth on that team, because the enigmas just get better as they grow older. Wasn't that the point of Soul when we watched it over Christmas? And Isn't that what I learned? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Something to that effect. Okay, cool. Time for the FGCL Player of the Week. Here we go. We've got six nominees. It was really tough. I had nine on the page, and I had to cut it down. This is week six. We've had five different winners. Everything was cut off last night. Haley Lee, I'm sorry. Your stats from tonight's game do not count for this past week, and that is why she did not make the list of six so, for the first time in a couple weeks. So I, I, we look for her to at least get two home runs in tonight. She will probably win it next week. <laughs> <laughs> Here are the nominees for FGCL Player of the Week. The first Tom is maybe my favorite and maybe my pick to win. I'm not going to lie to you. Kenzie Gales from Florida. Here are her week stats, and I'm going to get into why she's on this list. Two for 12, three RBI, two home runs, six strikeouts, two runs scored. You look at that, the line is not great, but the hits mattered when they came. Well, it was her home run against Mississippi State in game one that propelled Florida to the victory, one nothing on Friday in Starkville. She hit another home run in Starkville again in game three of that Florida and Mississippi State series. Why is this cool? Well, Friday night was her first career start at Florida in SEC play. I'm not sure if she started at her previous school, but I know it was her first SEC play start at Florida this year. And why did I mention a previous school? Because Kenzie Gells transferred from Mississippi State. Wow. It's poetic, isn't it? I mean, it, it, yeah, it really is. That's why she's on this list. I, I had to make sure she at least got the nomination. I was so proud of her for getting that home run. Kinsey Gells, our first nominee. Kelsey Brown, Virginia Tech, nine of 18, four RBIs, a triple, a double, eight runs scored. Very good. Mm-hmm. Megan Piero, South Florida, four for seven, two runs batted in, a home run, two runs scored. All right, this next player is from Florida Gulf Coast. Tom, as I go through every night and look up the box scores and put in these stats in the FGCL tracker, there are some players I come to and I'm like, man, I why have I not seen their names yet? What's going on? And uh, Megan Ricks was one of those players at FGCU. I had not seen her all year until I think it was Friday when all of a sudden I saw her get her first career at bat went 0 for 1 in game one. But I was excited. I was like, yes, we've got stats finally for Megan Ricks. Well, lo and behold, the next day, she gets her first career start at Florida Gulf Coast against North Florida. This is in a conference game. She goes three for three in that game with an RBI and a run scored. So a three for four week with an RBI and a run scored. Megan Ricks makes the list. I I thought that was really impressive. Two more. Mac Leonard is back, Tom. I mean, the Illinois State do-it-all player. Four of nine at the plate, an RBI, a home run, a double, three walks, a strikeout, three runs scored, and then the pitching. uh, Just unstoppable. Ten and two-thirds innings, three hits, zero runs, seven walks, nine strikeouts. This is a conference series against Indiana State, and Mac Leonard got two wins and a save in the circle. That's just wild yeah that's really good 
Finally, another new face, Michaela Frazier from Elon. Eight of 16 this week, including eight of 14 against UNC Greensboro. Six RBIs, a home run, a triple, three doubles, a walk, four strikeouts, and six runs scored. Now, before we get to our voting, Tom, honorable mention to past winner Shannon Sale. This doesn't count because it was an exhibition, but I just had to mention it. Against Team Mexico, this would be an Olympic team, Tom, a team competing in Japan. Shannon Sale, seven innings, four hits, one run it was earned, two walks, five strikeouts, 79 pitches, and 57 strikes. Against an Olympic team. I know it's not Team USA, but Tori Vidalis is on Team Mexico. <laughs> yes, she is. Yes. I'm just glad she's not on Texas A&M anymore. But yes, well done. Good job, Shannon. So that's our honorable mention. Tom, it's time to vote. What are you thinking? Oh, this is a this is a tough one. I agree. It's a great story with with Gales. The problem is two for twelve. It just eight runs scored by Kelsey Brown really jumps out at me, as well as six RBIs by Frazier. But I'm just I'm going to go with the with the two way player. I'm going to go with Mac Leonard. Is my vote. That was my vote as well. I mean doing what she did at the plate and then also being just unhittable essentially in a conference game against people that actually know who you are. Undeniable. Our winner is Mac Leonard, our first repeat winner wow. of the season. So another, another big win for noted Florida rival, Illinois state and Mac Leonard. Mac Leonard has been your FGCL player of the week in two of the last three weeks. And she's your winner here in week six. We'll shoot. We'll see what she does in week seven, Tom. Congratulations, you get a social media post. It is time to steal second. Are you ready for this? It might be a little chaotic. I hope you're buckled in. I I don't know if I'm ready, but we're going to go for it. So let's see what happens. It is a stealing second segment unlike anything we've ever done before. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury, Eric Lopez, Victor Anderson, all of us, one Zoom. The Out of the Box in the Circle crossover event is coming up on the other side here on the Out of the Box podcast. in the circle crossover event that's tom canterbury i'm gray robertson the last time we did this crossover was in 2019 it was on the docket for 2020 then everything you know got destroyed so now we're back here in 2021 and we've got both of the in the circle guys eric lopez and victor anderson eric welcome back hello good to see you guys i I wish it was during a beach setting like last time i saw you guys but uh this will this will do for now and victor welcome to out of the box making your podcast debut with us yes uh victor from orlando long time listener first time caller uh finally glad to be on the phone lines or zoom lines so to speak in 2021 but glad to be finally be able to join you guys and talk a little softball we have a lot to discuss of course all right so as we have teased throughout the show already this will be something different from what we usually do usually when we have jdh or amanda scarborough or bro or all these other guests, we will dive into all these topics and ask very specific pointed questions. Now we are being general, we are being broad, and we are being debative, if that is a word. We will be discussing some of the big topics around softball and some of the big questions that we have after 
however many weeks of the season we have played. I think we've done six now, which is kind of insane. So, gentlemen, I will begin with the first open-ended question of the night. I will start – ooh, so much power. I will start with Mr. Eric Lopez. The four best teams in college softball are – the four best teams, I think, is in no, not in no particular order, but I'll say UCLA. They're still the champs. They still have the most loaded roster. I'm going to put them in that top four. Oklahoma, I think they've, even though I know their schedule hasn't been strong, they have exploded. They've dominated teams. I think they're going to be in the mix. They're healthy. Alabama, so far what they've done, Montana Fouts has been fantastic. I think they're certainly a top four team there as well. And then, I think the fourth team is kind of open-ended there. And dare I say, as crazy as it sounds, could it be the Florida Gators? I know it sounds crazy, but we always kind of dismiss them a little bit. Well, they don't have this or they don't have that, yet they always end up winning and being in the mix at the end. So I think that's the four I would pick, but I'm certainly there's arguments that could be made with others. But I, I definitely feel good about the UCLA, Oklahoma, Alabama as your top three right now. We've talked about all season long that there's a big four uh, that out UCLA, Oklahoma, Alabama, and at the beginning of the season, we said Arizona was at number four. Um, I still think that they are in that conversation. I think Alabama might have come back to the pack a little bit with the injury to Bailey Dowling, which I know we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes. So it's more wide open. I agree with you, Eric. I think Florida is one of those teams that is in the conversation. I think after some early season uh, issues. I think Washington might work their way back into being in the conversation. I think the big, the, the big surprise to me has been that there isn't really a secondary team in the big 12. We thought it was going to be Oklahoma state or Texas that could really give Oklahoma a run and maybe become that fourth team. I don't see it happening now. Uh, so uh, I think it's really about, unfortunately, the way men's basketball has gone the Conference of Champions is going to send some more people up there than we thought. Well, uh, of course, it's Oklahoma, UCLA, Alabama, one, two, three. But for me, I think the fourth best team is Oregon. You look at what they've done offensively, they have nine run rule victories this season, which is top five in the nation. And their pitching staff, led by Brooke Yanez, has been very, has been very underrated. Let's remember, Melissa Lombardi is known to work with talented pitchers with what she did in Oklahoma. And she's been doing it with Yanez, who transferred in a couple years ago. They have a nice pitch, nice pitching staff, and they haven't used Jordan Dahl that much. He's only appeared in three games, pitched seven and two-thirds innings. So you know she's going to hopefully get back in the rotation and pitch some innings later on in the season. But I think Oregon has to be considered simply because they're the only team that can say, we beat UCLA this year. Yeah, I, I wish I'd have thought of Oregon because I, I agree. I think Oregon's definitely up there in that in that conversation yeah. now as well. I think they're in the mix. I still like Florida more than them. I've you know I'm going to see Florida this week. Cheap plug. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I Elizabeth Hightower and Natalie Lugo have stepped up to be that one-two punch, and Tim likes using Katie Chronister as that kind of lefty lefty matchup, even as yep. an opener. He's talked about as well, and. Their offense hasn't clicked yet. Uh, you know, players like Julia Cottrell haven't hit yet. I, I still think their offense can get better as the season goes on. So I think they got more upside. I agree with you, Tom, on Arizona. I watched Arizona in person. I called their game against UCF, which maybe we'll take the blame for it because they haven't been the same since. But there's too much talent on that team not to figure it out offensively. They're really good pitching-wise. Denham has been good. Lopez has been good. 
Uh, Taryn Moat, their pitching coach, done a good job. They'll figure it out offensively. So I agree with you. I think Arizona and Washington will probably figure it out and get to Oklahoma City. And I think you're right. The Big 12, we, I'm not surprised about Texas because once, obviously, the, you had the opt-out at the beginning of the year, you knew their, their best player, they were going to drop off a little bit. I am surprised that Oklahoma State has scuffled here at the last few weeks because I thought they would be that team. Yeah, I want to cut in real quick and uh, and give my number four because I'm with Tom. Oh, yeah. I, I say Arizona, and I, I kind of actually think that what's going to hold them back from being elite is the pitching because I think, and something we've kind of debated with some other people in the last couple of weeks, when you look at the big duos across the country, across the top teams in the circle, you know, with Oklahoma, you've got Sale and Juarez. With Alabama, you've got Kilfoyle and Fouts. With UCLA, you've got Faramo Garcia. With Arizona, you've got Denim and Lopez. I think it's pretty clear, at least to me, that the weakest of those four is Arizona's duo. And so I think that that's going to keep them from being able to ascend to where certainly UCLA and Oklahoma are, and I think where Alabama right. can be by the postseason. But uh, Arizona would be my my fourth team to slide in there, despite the offensive issues, because that's kind of the, the situation where, you know, if Alabama's pitching was struggling right now, I would say I wouldn't be super concerned because we know they're going to work it out. But Arizona's hitting, I know they're going to work it out at some point. Like Eric said, there's just too much talent on that roster right now for them to be limited to a run a game at what they're doing right now is just a blip in the radar. I, I will. I, I'm higher on the Arizona pitching than you are. I'll give you the stat. Since Taryn Moat's arrival at Arizona, their pitching staff has gone three seasons with an ERA under two. Prior to her arrival, the last time they did that was 06 to 08. I think their pitching is good enough to get to Oklahoma City and, and contend. Now, do I got them as far as a national title? No, I don't. But I think their pitching is good enough once that offense gets clicking, yeah. I think I, I would like them because I think they got more arms than Washington. I think I got questions about Washington after Gabby playing. I think Gabby oh, yeah. might be the best pitcher in the nation right now, the way she's throwing, but their pitching behind them right now has not been great. The team with the best chance to beat Oklahoma in the regular season is Victor Anderson. You're up first. I'm going to go with Oklahoma State simply because you cannot – you cannot discount rivalry games. And Oklahoma State has been nipping on OU's heels for the last couple of years. And I feel that core with Fibri and Kali Ayomi, Pennington, that bunch. If any team could beat Oklahoma and match them back for back, I think it's Oklahoma State. Will they? No. But if there's anybody who can, I think it's the Cowboys. Well, I mean, the Oklahoma State's at the end of the year. Uh, I think that, you know, that makes it. The only thing I see about that is I feel like Oklahoma is going to be locked and loaded for that. I wonder if it's going to be one of those that we don't see coming. Is it? Is it somebody like Iowa State that shocks them and we didn't see it coming? And we do the big social media tweets that no one is safe. Is it somebody like a North Texas who hosts them? Is it somebody like Georgia who they they're scheduled to have a doubleheader with them? Georgia could score. I'm you know. Is it? I I think it's going to be one of those. I don't think it's going to be. Oklahoma State because I think they'll be locked and loaded when they play the Cowgirls at the end and then I, it would have been Texas again I, I sound like a broken record but without Elish I don't think Texas can beat them but you know maybe I think it's an upset maybe at Baylor at Baylor how about that one for a little would that consider a surprise there if they lost one at Baylor that would definitely qualify for the Saturday yes. um, I, I'll cut in before Tom I think my pick is 
whoever can go along with the formula that we have crafted, which is basically who can hold Oklahoma to five runs and score six. And to me, I think that the two teams that could do that are Georgia, if it gets really weird, because Mary Wilson Avant can get hot, and Georgia somehow won a series with 13 errors this past weekend. So things (laughs) happen in Athens that can be wacky. And I do think Texas actually would be the other team, just because I think that offense could find ways to put up runs. And I, I could see Molly Jacobson getting hot in a game and holding Oklahoma to five. I'm not sure if Oklahoma State could score enough to keep up with Oklahoma. I know, Victor, you were just talking about that offense. But yeah, to me, I trust the Texas bats, I think, to have a big game more than I trust the Oklahoma State bats to do that against Juarez or Sale. And Gray, I was gonna I was gonna say Georgia. It was gonna be my pick. Uh I again I I'm down on the rest of the Big 12. Um I I think Georgia. Like you said, if you could win a series with 13 errors, anything can happen. Mary Wilson Avent can have a really good game. You know Georgia's going to be fired up for that series. And Oklahoma, it's just another one on the schedule for them. So I, I think I think Georgia will be able to win some sort of weird, wacky matchup uh, one of those two games in Athens. Keep this day to my fellas. April 7th, Oklahoma goes to Wichita State. Just saying. Wichita State beat Oklahoma State last weekend in Stillwater. You yeah, got the offense, yeah. Bailey Lang. Again, that's a good one because that's, again, one of those where like, whoa, I didn't see that one coming scenario. That's a pretty good one. I think a Wichita right. State or a Baylor would fall in that category. I do like your Georgia pick. Doubleheader in Athens. You guys have been to Athens. Weird stuff tends to happen. Weird things happen in Athens. Alabama goes later. Calzones will be had at 2 a.m. There's a lot of stuff that happens in Athens. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a good spot. I, I like the Wichita pick. That's it, kind of similar to it's something that we said when South Alabama beat Alabama a couple of weeks ago, uh, similar to what I was talking about, that it was the World Series for South Alabama. It was another game on the schedule for Alabama. Sometimes, you know, those type of teams, they play out of their mind. Whenever Oklahoma comes up on the schedule, you know it's going to be the biggest game of the year. So I, I could see somebody like Wichita getting them, but uh, it's going to be it's going to be a tough road to hoe. Like I say, you got to – you got to score at least six, seven runs to have a chance to beat Oklahoma. All right, let's move on to question number three. We will start with Tom. The okay. 2021 SEC champion will be. Uh, okay, see, when we talked about this uh, um, uh, segment ago, guys. Um, I think the entry to Bailey Dowling made Alabama, went turned Alabama from the prohibited favorite in the conference to one of the favorites in the conference. I think it brought some other teams into the conversation as far as having the opportunity to win the SEC. The other thing is Arkansas in all likelihood is about to be 12 and 0 in the conference. And they have a tremendous pitching staff. The hitting has just been out of this world so far. The schedule has worked out for them to put them in the right spot. I think Alabama, if they're able to win two out of three from Arkansas and Fayetteville, I will still take Alabama to win the conference. But if Arkansas wins that series, um, the Razorbacks are in the catbird seat. I'm not, I'm a history. I, I, I majored in history. I like history. And I don't, I try to listen, I learn from history. And in the Southeastern Conference, we, with all due respect to Courtney Dyfel and Arkansas, they're off to mm-hmm. a great start. And LSU's great. But what do we know, guys, over the last decade or so? Who has done, won the SEC regular season title? There's two programs Alabama and Florida. Bingo. Yep. It ain't changing this year. I think it's coming down to that series at Alabama. 
uh, whoever wins that series wins the SEC. And and now I am concerned, and I'm, you know, I know we'll bring it up. The injury, you guys, that injury, that's a significant injury. I like Florida's pitching. That's a great series. I lean towards Alabama, but right now I'm not as confident as I was, say, a couple weeks ago. But I think the I'm sticking to it. The winner of that series wins the SEC. Both programs find ways to win championships. You got to take it from them before yeah. I, I can believe you can win it. On that note, I'm on that note. I'm going to lean right now towards Alabama, but Florida has been playing a lot better the last couple of weeks. Of course, the injury to Dowling is something that we're all hoping that is that she recovers from very quickly, and Alabama can find a way to uh, work around that. My biggest question with Florida, though, what happens? if that offense isn't clicking in an SEC series. You could get away with it against Mississippi State. But when you have to play in Arkansas, which they don't do, what they don't do on the schedule this year, or you have to play in Alabama, how can your pitching staff respond, when you particularly when you have Hightower and Lugo who haven't been in those high-leverage situations like a kill for or a fouls have been with Alabama since they've gone to Tuscaloosa. So I lean Alabama right now, but if you ask me again in a couple of weeks, I could be like Lopez and flip picks and go to Florida. This feels weird, weird that it seems as though of the three, me, Victor, and, and Eric, I'm the one most concerned about Alabama. It's very odd, but uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm kind of there. <laughs> Can I make it two out of four? Because yeah. I, I don't know. I actually, you know what's crazy? I think the key to this whole thing might be Missouri. Missouri goes to Arkansas the second mm-hmm. last weekend of conference play. Or at least for them, the second last weekend of conference play for Florida is a road trip to Missouri. If Missouri can give some of those teams, both of those teams, some cheap losses late, I think that could help Alabama's cause. But oh, Larissa, you can do it. We all we love you, Larissa. Do your <laughs> oh, thing. Listen, they're talented. I've seen them in person. I called their game when they beat UCF. They've got the firepower offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is the pitching. Can it hold up? You know, that's the irony with her. She handles the pitching. But no, I think they're really good. But I, again, I, I'm not going to bet against Alabama and Florida. I know you guys are concerned about your tie, but Murphy and Walton always find ways to win. And Tim Walton, you guys know this. How many times do you leave a field playing Florida? And you're like, man, they weren't that great. Next thing you know, they lost, they beat, you lost them three to one or two. Nothing. Yeah, you know, they absolutely. Just, they find way. And I, there's, there's those intangibles. I can't, I, I've seen it too long. I've seen it too long. Totally agree. There was no reason for Tennessee only to win on Friday, four to three. They should have won that game by more. And um, somehow Alabama was able to, to scratch and claw. I just think that my biggest concern with this whole thing is I am very confident at worst, Arkansas will be 11 and one by the time Alabama goes to Fayetteville. How much pressure does that put on Alabama for that series in a place where Alabama, last time they were there, they lost to Arkansas in a series for the first time ever in school history. And, you know, how does Arkansas play in that series with probably the conference lead at that point? And then how do they play the next weekend when they go to Athens, which I think is a really fascinating road trip after that series of Alabama. I honestly don't know my answer yet. I think I am still leaning Alabama. I think that's what my gut says to go with right now. But I think, as we've talked about already on this podcast, the Arkansas thing is very real. And especially if Jenna Bloom starts proving to be an actual viable number three option for Courtney Diefel, and she did pitch well on Sunday against Ole Miss, I mean, look out. But again, it's different when you are the hunted and the hunter. 
You know, you sure. mentioned that Alabama series. Yes, there's going to be pressure in Alabama in that, but there's going to be a lot of pressure in Arkansas because they're playing Alabama. This is your opportunity. They haven't been in that scenario before as far as playing for a championship in the regular. So we'll see. We'll see. But I think Arkansas, we all, it seems, sounds like we all agree, though, Arkansas is going to be in the mix. And I would say, is it those three teams? Do we do we count LSU still in the mix as far as the title race? Or is it is it a four-team race? I, I'm not giving up on LSU, but I will – We'll need to see what happens today uh, against AM as we're recording. Uh, but um, I'm not I'm not giving up on them. But they're going to need to to shore some things up. That's for sure. Yeah. And and I think Tennessee is one of those teams that I don't know if they're going to be in the mix for winning it. Uh, but they're they're a tough out for a lot of these top teams too. Yeah, Victor. I don't know if you want to add anything else there, but I think also with LSU, it's not just about waiting for tonight. It's waiting for this weekend because yes. that series of Florida is going to, I think, tell us a lot about both of those teams. It is. I think LSU's kind of ascending again, but you know, lose tonight against A and M, and then back it up with a series loss to Florida, and all of a sudden they're backsliding all over again. This could be the most important stretch of games for LSU so far this season. Well, what's going on with A and M, and then the series with Florida. Because you're gonna, we're gonna learn a lot about well, Beth, Tarina, and company are in the landscape of the SEC and possibly getting to Oklahoma City after Sunday. As we as we continue the out of the box in the circle crossover event, a couple more things we want to get to before we let the guys go. Without Bailey Dowling, Alabama is Eric Lopez. You're up. They're not. They are still a SEC title contender. They're still a contender for all the goals they have, but they're not, there's definitely, they're not invincible, right? Like there's definitely a, a, a notch below. It's a significant loss. Who steps up in that role? That'll be fascinating to see in the coming games for Alabama, but that's kind of my thoughts on that. Just because again, I trust Murph. I know, and I trust that roster, talented players, somebody will step up, but it's a big loss. I mean, there's no question about it. Whereas you're right. If, if she's healthy right now, Perhaps our conversation is very different about the SEC and we're thinking Alabama is the clear-cut team, whereas now we're thinking Arkansas, maybe Florida, maybe LSU, more people in the mix. Maybe it's not a lock that you get to Oklahoma, you know, a, a bunch of stuff. Who knows? But I, I still have faith in that roster that somebody will step up and find a way and, and, and they'll, be, they'll be okay. Um, I'm going to say non-panic-inducing. Yes, it's a difficult loss to someone who's been that productive in the lineup. But we've seen this time and time again from Coach Murphy. He always has somebody waiting in the wings to step up and fill that role. And it may take a couple of games, but the offense gets back rolling as usual. I feel it's going to put a little bit more pressure initially on the pitching staff because they got to be a little bit higher on their intensity and being locked in to get themselves out of trouble. They had to scratch and get that win versus Tennessee on Sunday. And they have Kentucky on the road coming up. As you know, it's always tough to go against Rachel Lawson at offense in Lexington. And then they got Texas A&M before the series versus Arkansas. If they can get themselves together, find that replacement for Dally, maybe it's a platoon situation, get yourself ready for that Arkansas series, I think Patrick Murphy will be just fine. So I don't think it's something worth to panic about if you're Alabama. Uh, i say the, um, the person to – spin off your thought, Victor, the person who might be under the most pressure overall may end up being Lexi Kilfoyle because I think she might be the answer to who replaces Bailey Dowling as far as, as hitting goes. Yes. Um, so you have that combined with 
she has become one thing that is that is absolutely for certain for Alabama. There are two aces on this staff. Montana Fouts and Lexi Kilfoyle are both aces. So they're going to be fine as far as in the circle. But hopefully that if she is asked to do more offensively, Kilfoyle is, that it doesn't affect what she does in the circle. And she's still as dominant as she has been being. See, and that kind of leads into what I'm going to say. I, I think without Bailey Dowling, Alabama is going to need time. They're going to have to take some time to figure out what to do. That was something we talked about earlier. We're not going to know immediately what's going to work this weekend because it might work this weekend and then it might not against Texas A&M. We might not know the long-term answer for a couple series, for a couple games as Patrick Murphy moves some people around and moves the order up and down. So I think, and again, I'm just pleading with the fans, Alabama's just going to need some time. All right, one more topic I want to get to as we close out the Out of the Box in the Circle crossover event. And there's even more we could talk about there. I know Patrick Murphy uh, wants more of a serious conversation about safety bases in college softball, and that can be something maybe we get into next time. But uh, as, as I see the clock ticking at the top of the screen, I know we have to keep going. So the final question, gentlemen, and we'll start with Victor. When we are all talking about college softball in three months, that'll be June 22nd, What's the big story? What's the headline that sticks out? Victor, you go first. I'm going to keep this very, I'm going to keep this very um, short. Oklahoma shatters home run record. Because if you look at the pace that Oklahoma is hitting home runs, I think they're on pace to shatter the record for home runs of the season. And Jocelyn Allo has a real possibility to break the single season home run record of Lauren Chamberlain. The way that both of them they've been hitting, I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about that in three months' time. Is Duke and Clemson a national power in softball? That's a question we're going to be talking about in a few months. I think both are having great years. It would not surprise me if one or both of them end up hosting and become threats in the postseason. We're going to be talking about Duke, a basketball school, Clemson, a football school, becoming softball powers, possibly. I think we're going to have that conversation. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about the seedings that the committee put out are so bad, they screwed it up so horribly, it was like an exploding barbed wire death match that didn't have an explosion, is what this entire <laughs> committee will have been, and we will be totally revamping how we see the tournament moving forward. It was so bad this year. <laughs> Well, that's a given. I mean, I I, I assume that was a given. I, right, I didn't right. know, so I didn't know that was a given. Taxes and issues with the committee seeing. Those are guaranteed <laughs> things in life, right? Right. But I think it's going to be so bad this year that there will be some sort of change made. And I don't know if it'll be for the, for the better or for the worse, but something will happen. I'm going to spin off of that. I think that part of that will be putting Oklahoma and UCLA on the same side of the bracket. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I Please think do that, that to give everybody else a chance. That would be awesome. Hey, yes. I, cool for us. I, I think at the end of the day, we're going to be talking about, man, after watching those two play in the semifinals or whatever, wouldn't it have been crazy to see them for the champ series? I think for some reason, some way or another, Oklahoma and UCLA will be playing in the World Series, but not in the champ series. And I think that's something we're still talking about, about whether or not whoever wins the national championship actually had to have the toughest road to get there. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think it will be, don't be surprised again, if a Duke Clemson, maybe even a, a, surpri a surprise host that people are not seeing coming. 
that that would be the only thing I would have. But I, I think you're the committee thing. That's a given. Otherwise, I would have said that. But that makes that, that's a ton of that's a no brainer. Like, <laughs> we did enough for you on our show, sir. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, gentlemen. This has been very fun. The out of the box in the circle crossover event. There's Eric Lopez. There's Victor Anderson. That's Tom Canterbury. I'm Greg Robertson. Four guys, one Zoom, talking softball. Good debate all the way around. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for hopping on with us. Anytime, guys. Thank you. All right, that was the Out of the Box in the Circle crossover event. When we come back, we're going to round third. That's next on the Out of the Box podcast. Now it's time to round third. Oh, wow. A lot just happened. It was really fun. Now we get to talk about our previous expectations and whether or not we are correct or in fact dummies like Mm. sometimes we think we are tom it's time for on second thought our look back at our land miner gold mine predictions and a vibe check on how we feel about those predictions are you ready i'm ready would you like to go first or do you like for me to uh i'll go first i'll lead off please lead off all right so my first uh, landmine or gold mine for this year was uh, Alabama related, and it was SEC freshman of the year will be Bailey Dowling. Obviously, if she's out for the year, uh, she will not be SEC freshman of the year. But I think she was on pace. Uh, I would, I think she was definitely going to be in the conversation, if not in, in the lead when that happened, when the injury happened. So um, I feel good about where I was with that landmine or gold mine, but unfortunately, circumstances uh, has taken. Bailey out of the running. I agree with you. I think Bailey was going to win. Now, you know, with her gone, most likely, Aaron Koffel at Kentucky seems like maybe the best bet. We'll get to see her more this weekend. But, yeah, when you really think about it, the field was kind of limited because of the way rosters are, right? And so, Dowling seemed to be far and away the best option. And, you know, now it's going to be interesting. Maybe Shambly at Georgia puts something together. I don't know. Maybe coffee at LSU, but uh, we'll see. Either way, I think you were on the money. Just, you know, some bad luck. Let's look at my Alabama one. And I just, I freaking hate it right now. Five Alabama players will hit double digit home runs. Just, that's not going to happen. That's just not the way this team is this year. I mean, Dowling and Hempill, yeah, I felt good about that. Tao, maybe. Maybe you can get to like 10, 11. I feel like Claire Jenkins is, going to be there i listed maddie morgan that's probably not going to happen this year now with dowling out it's just it's just not the in the dna of team 25 i'm not thinking that's going to happen either i think you could see somebody come on like again as we talked about if option one is the is the way you go and you get lexi kilfoyle gets at bats virtually every game i can see her going on a on a power trip and, and getting over over 10 but other than Tao and Hempill, I don't know if anybody else is. Maybe you know a healthy KB side starts putting it together, and and maybe she can get in that conversation. But uh, would be surprised if anybody else does. I don't feel good about that. So bad, yeah. bad vibe check on that one. Tom, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is that uh, someone other than UCLA will be the number one seed in the NCAA tournament, and I feel really good about it. I think there are more chances in the Pac-12 for UCLA to trip up than there are in the Big 12 for Oklahoma to trip up. Uh, So I think just by sheer win numbers, I think Oklahoma is going to be the number one seed. See, that's interesting because I actually would feel really 
bad about that prediction because in the early mock-up RPI, as I refresh again to see if the actual NCAA rankings, no, it's not there. So I'm looking at the nitty-gritty sheets. UCLA is number two right now. So if it's between Alabama who's number one in that list and UCLA is number two, I think the edge would go to UCLA if, if I had to guess. So I don't know. I, I was also surprised. I'm looking at it again now. Oklahoma in the nitty gritty on the NCAA website. So this is on the NCAA statistics database. Oklahoma is 23 in the RPI. Okay. So They're- again, not the official one that is published yet. I'm not sure how much we can take away from it. But I, I actually am leaning more towards UCLA probably having a better shot just because Oklahoma's strength of schedule is going to really hinder them as the season goes on. I don't know. What do you think, Tom? Well, I think some of this is going to also factor into my third landmine or gold mine. Um, and I think Oklahoma's going to be number one overall seed. Ooh, okay. Save it. We'll get there. Save it, save it, save it, yeah, save it for yeah. the pod in just yep. a minute. We're out, we're doing the pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm sorry. I, I'm not thinking. I don't have headphones today and it's throwing the whole podcast out of whack. <laughs> All right, my number two. The SEC coach of the year will be Samantha Ricketts or Larissa Anderson. Well, it's not gonna be number not one. <laughs> It's the the coach of the year is going to be Courtney Diefel, Um, yeah. and that's just the way it is. Uh, whether Arkansas wins the league or not, they're probably going to be top three. And if that's the case, Courtney Diefel is your SEC coach of the year. This I mean, we could probably vote now, and it would be true. So yeah, I don't feel good about that one at all. Maybe Larissa gets it together, and Missouri goes on a run to end out conference play, and maybe she's in the conversation. But at this point, I would be stunned if anybody besides Courtney Diefel one SEC coach of the year. I think the other possibility for coach of the year, if it's not Courtney Dyfel for some reason, Patrick Murphy. I just thought about that. As you were saying, I thought, well, now wait a second. If Alabama goes on a run without Bailey Dowling, I could see it. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I, yes, he has two of the best pitchers in the league, but so does Courtney Dyfel. And you could make the argument right now, Courtney Dyfel has a better offensive lineup than Alabama does from top to bottom. So if Alabama is able to go to Arkansas, win two out of three and win this league without Bailey Dowling, I mean, you might have to give it to the hall of famer, Patrick Murphy. I could see it now, right now though, Tom, would you agree with me and put the money on Diefel if you had to? Uh, Probably, but I definitely put the money on uh, your, your two uh, preseason choices, not winning it. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. I, again, love them both. They're great. Right. Yeah. It, it's not going to work this year. Probably not going to happen. All right. You teased it. Now give us your number three, Tom. Uh, my number three, uh, something farcical will force changes in how the NCAA selection committee operates and how brackets, how the bracket is chosen. Something that the committee does will be so egregious that, um, that, that they'll just change the way things are done. Uh, for the NCAA tournament. And I think that's still a possibility. One of those things that could be what happens is say Oklahoma finishes with, you know, two or three losses on the year. UCLA finishes with, with like four, 
but UCLA has a strength of schedule that's so much better in Oklahoma, and they still put Oklahoma number one. I that that could be the thing that that finally it, it, you know the straw that breaks the camel's back there, or if somehow UCLA like falls to number three or something. It, there's, it could be something absolutely nuts, or they could go the exact opposite and have Oklahoma having set all of these offensive records and numbers, and maybe they finished with one loss on the year, but then they really hammer strength of schedule and make Oklahoma like the five seed. And if they do something like that, again, that, that could be, you could have you know, people, you know, with torches and pitchforks in Oklahoma city coming after them. Uh, I think that that's also a possibility. They could do that as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I think if we saw Oklahoma at around like eight or nine in the RPI, just get ready for chaos because if they're ranked there and by the committee, it's, it's bad. But if they're put at number one, then we're called into question. What is the committee looking at every year? Because how many times Tom, have we seen the committee truly make their selections based off RPI and we expect it to be different this year, but Oklahoma could be a real test for how the committee operates and selects the teams that host this year. And while I don't think anything is official yet. There are possible changes in the water with how the postseason could happen. I, I don't even think we can talk about it yet based right. on what we know or what we've heard. But at the same time, there are going to be seeds and how those teams are picked. I think the ramifications of that will resonate through the sport for a very long time. So I'm right there with you, partner. This would be the absolute worst year to really hammer strength the schedule because especially non-conference strength the schedule some teams aren't even playing a non-conference. There, you know, some leagues aren't playing non-conference at all. There's a lot of teams that are. We just we had to schedule who would be willing to play us, and there, there was, you know, we didn't have some of these mega tournaments like we, the Mary Nutter and the Clearwater tournament, and some of these other ones where we would have had some really good top ten, you know, top fifteen type matchups. They weren't able to happen this year, and this would be an absolutely horrendous day or horrendous year to say we're really going to hammer non-conference strength of schedule this year when we're doing our seedings, which is probably what's going to happen because the committee is what the committee is. All right. My third one, at least seven of the eight women's college world series teams are in the preseason top 10. The preseason top 10 was as follows UCLA, Washington, Arizona, Oklahoma, LSU, Florida, Texas, Alabama, Louisiana and Oklahoma State. I feel really good about that. I feel really good about that. Uh, a couple outsiders potentially to look for. Florida State, I thought they had turned it on and then they lost to Auburn. Mm. So maybe they could get hot. Arkansas, I think, is very viable. Uh, maybe Virginia Tech, if Rochard goes on a run. I, I think the, the best option out of the teams outside the top 10 is Oregon. But behind that, I feel pretty good about my world series being some collection of those teams. And if I had to guess right now, UCLA, Washington, Arizona, Oklahoma, Alabama would probably be pretty close to locks for me, barring some catastrophic injuries, which, you know, we've already seen this week for Alabama, but who knows what else could happen in the next couple months. Yeah. I would say the only teams that would have to really turn things around to get back into world series contention would be, Texas, Louisiana, and Oklahoma State. And certainly think that everybody else on that list, maybe LSU has some work to do. But um, yeah, seven out of that top 10 certainly look really good. So there we go. That's on second thought, Tom. I, I liked our predictions at the time. I like only a couple of them now. Again, that's why they play the games, right? 
Yes, to see whether Gray and Tom are right. All right, let's move on. Uh, again, the RPI is supposed to come out today. I continue to refresh. I continue to see nothing on the ESPN rankings page. I am looking at the nitty gritty. And as we referenced earlier, Alabama 1, UCLA 2, LSU 3, Florida 4. Boston U is 5, which tells me that maybe who knows what this really is. Auburn at 6. Eh. Yeah, so, I did. you know, there's – and you know it takes a while you know the formula is is designed to give you the rpi top 10 at the end of the year so sometimes it takes a while for the the numbers so all to kind of work itself out uh usually by the end the rpi looks pretty similar to what the other polls are uh with a few changes but it's not not the be all end all and they're not putting it out today as of yet um and so you're saying the ncaa might be slow at doing something i i'm shocked shocked and stunned and shocked i just know i'm not going to be surprised this year last year i was watching uh texas a&m kentucky on the sec network and caleb rose started talking about the rpi and i texted amanda scarborough and i think my text was what the hell the rpi came out did we know this it just happened and not going to happen this year i will know the second it is updated right and then and then a week later the the season was over so it's just you never know what'll happen before we uh, get ready to head home, Tom, a couple of big non-SEC conference games. Wednesday, some really fun midweeks featuring SEC teams. Florida at UCF and LSU at South Alabama. Which of those two teams would you say is more on upset alert? Well, it depends on which uh, Olivia Lackey shows up for South Alabama, assuming she pitches. If she pitches, then watch out LSU. If not, then uh, Florida. Yeah, I agree. Big week for South Alabama as well because they play LSU and then go on the road to Louisiana, which will be difficult, but we'll see. Best of luck to them. Um, also, the Big Ten starting conference play on Big Ten campuses, which is mm -hmm. great, and our beloved Hoosiers are hosting four games against Michigan this weekend. So a, a great chance to get some quality wins early. Yeah, big matchup for the Hoosiers against one of those other teams that we thought might be able to uh, break out from the Big Ten and, and might make some national uh, national noise in Michigan. They've been kind of away from the uh, the top part of the the scene here for a few years, but uh, you knew you know at some point they're going to come back. And this we'll see what happens against a quality Indiana team. Uh, also, a couple other things this weekend that stuck out to me: Oklahoma beginning conference play at Iowa State. Iowa State not the pushover of years past also not the usual oklahoma team this is one that is a little more powerful and uh in the acc duke at clemson they'll play four times this weekend those are two very good acc squads kind of pining for the uh for the florida state position in that conference yeah definitely uh, both duke and clemson and the toward the bottom of the top 25 but they're in there uh have the opportunity to kind of make some moves and, and try to get toward the top of the league i agree that i iowa state's not what they norm not as bad as they normally are uh, which is, you know, that's maybe sound harsh, but they're, they're, they're definitely a, a quality team, but if, if they're able to get one from Oklahoma, I will be shocked. It would be great for them. And honestly, I would everybody really else. enjoy it. <laughs> It'd be great for everybody else. If someone could beat Oklahoma a few times, uh, I'm not looking for it this weekend though. If they do beat Oklahoma, do it in the last game though, because odds are Oklahoma will take it out on you in the one after that. <laughs> <laughs> Poor UTEP. Still, just poor, poor UTEP. 
Hmm. Also, one Pac-12 series to talk about, Washington at Arizona State. Arizona State got swept by UCLA this past weekend, Tom. As we said in the last show, major alarm bells for the rest of the country of UCLA sweeps. Uh, UCLA swept. Can you hear the sirens? Because I sure can. Uh, sirens for different reasons. Not uh, Nobody is safe. No one's safe from UCLA, I think, is, is, is what the sirens are meaning now. Uh, yeah, that, that's, I thought that the Sun Devils might be able to get at least one, maybe two, from UCLA with the offense they have. They had a couple of leads in the series, but wasn't able to get, get any any wins. And it doesn't get any easier for Arizona State. So now they got to go to uh, take on now they got to take on Washington. Better win one at least. Good lord. If they start 0 and 8 uh and 0 and 6, I guess, how they're judging it in Pac-12 play. Big yikes yes. for our friend Trisha Ford. That's not good. No. Yeah. Yeah. If you only win one, try to win one of the games that count. Agreed. <laughs> And that's why this is really stupid, Pac-12. Very, very weird. In a shocking development, Pac-12 doing something crazy. Somebody called Bill Walton, who put five Pac-12 teams in the Final Four. All right, when we come back, we will head home here on the Out of the Box podcast. Picks we've got also off the wall. That'll be upcoming here on the Out of the Box podcast. We'll be right back. You know, the weather is beautiful today, Tom. When I actually do go home from the office, I'm going to roll the windows down, open the sunroof, maybe put on a little closing time. I don't know. I I now see why so many people enjoy listening to driver's license at the loudest volume possible. It's a good roaming down the road song. I don't know. what. Do you have a song you like to listen to when the windows are down and the weather is beautiful? I like to do uh, some some DMB Dave Matthews Band. I think is always always quality during that time. A little two step, little Gray Street. That's good stuff. I came listening to Chris Stapleton. It's Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it just puts you in the mood. Blue sky, sun, but well, I guess we still got sun right now actually because of daylight. Yeah. Time, so that's always fun. Why do we ever? Why do we ever go off daylight savings time? Like it makes no sense to to change the clocks. Just do what we got now. Just keep what we have now. We can do stuff after work. Mow the yard if need, if it's needed. Go hit a, a bucket of balls at the driving range. You can do a lot of stuff when it's not dark at five o'clock. Why do we ever go off of what we're doing right now? I'm going to go home, and I'm going to be able to see the road without headlights. It's going to be so great. I can't wait. It's the best. It's the best. All right. It's time to head home. So far, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We started at the plate, talked about Alabama, really focused on what the Bailey Dowling injury means for the team going forward and, and what the team might look like after the events of this past weekend. Then we advanced to first, wild weekend in the SEC. Speaking of wild, we stole second with the In the Circle guys. It was the crossover event, and boy, did we cross over, Tom. I still don't know what happened, but I'm sure – I'm sure everyone has enjoyed it. And then we rounded third on second thought, a little RPI discussion, big non-SEC games and all that. Now it's time to talk about the big SEC games with our series picks. Here are the standings. Right now, Tom has four. He got one correct last week. That was Alabama two out of three over Tennessee. Gray has two with an asterisk because if LSU wins tonight, he will have three. I will have three as I try not to be annoying with third person if LSU wins that series two out of three. So, Tom, that means 
at best, we tie this week, which means it carries over from last week, which means you go first again. Are you excited? All right. Yes, I'm very excited. I'm happy to have uh, got Alabama's series correct this week, although I would have rather you have been correct because that meant an Alabama sweep, but uh, I will take the two out uh, the two out of three for the tie. Well, let's see what you think about this one. Mississippi State at Arkansas. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, Arkansas sweeps them. Like, I don't, I think we've already discussed why all that is going to happen. I need to see some life from anybody involved with Mississippi State before I will pick them probably to win a game ever again. See, I actually really want to pick Arkansas two out of three, just kind of begging Mississippi State to win. I also will never return to this podcast if I lose ground against you by picking Mississippi State. So I am taking Arkansas in a sweep. I, this is, I wanted to do it anyway. Now I have to because you just did it. And I can't, yeah. I can't afford to lose ground on a Mississippi State series. But please, for the love of God, Mississippi State win a game. That's all we need. It, it would help. It would help Gray. It would help Alabama. It helps everyone if Mississippi State finds a way to win at least one. South Carolina at Texas A&M. Tom, this one is fascinating to me. What do you think? All right. It's at A&M. So, yeah, it it is very fascinating. I wish I knew what happened tonight before I could make this pick on what A&M does. I'm going to say at A&M, Texas A&M takes two out of three. I'm with you. A&M 2-1 is what I've got. I I really like the pitching combo of Herzog and Brodus. Brodus did not pitch in game two against LSU. I thought that was a little surprising. So I assume that means we will see her tonight in game three. And if you're listening to this and she didn't pitch, well, then just, you know, file that away in your usual gray is an idiot file. I, I do like what AM is doing though. I think that there's the potential for this team to be middle of the pack SEC and to be a really tough out in the NCAA tournament. And the South Carolina pitching dilemma continues to baffle me even in the wins against UCF they didn't give up a bunch of runs but they didn't exactly pitch well and in the final game UCF scored 12 runs and left 12 runners on base or it was 10 and left 12 I don't know either way it could have gotten really ugly yeah I I do think A&M wins two out of three okay all right next up Auburn at Missouri yeah see if Auburn's able to go to Missouri and win two out of three I will officially put them in the enigma category uh, but I'm not going to be able to do that as of yet. At Missouri, I just think they're going to be able to uh, to hit the Penta, Yarborough, whatever category, whatever combination that Mickey Dean puts out there. And I am going to uh, go with Missouri 2-1. Missouri 2-1. All right, this is my uh, this is my actual sweep. I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Missouri sweeping Auburn. Um, my apologies to Mickey Dean. I just don't trust the Auburn offense to light up Missouri pitching like Georgia did. I've got Missouri getting the sweep. Go Larissa. I could definitely see it happening. Georgia at Ole Miss. (laughs) Wow. Good luck with that one. I'm impressed with Ole Miss, but I'm not sold on Ole Miss, if that makes sense. So I am going to, I'm going to say Georgia wins two out of three, which would be, I think that would be kind of riding the ship somewhat for, for the Bulldogs. Uh, even though they won two out of three against Missouri, they got to feel like we didn't play very well. We were lucky to win two out of three. They'll have to shore, shore some things up to be able to go on the road and get two wins. But I just, I still am a little bit more confident in what Georgia does and what Ole Miss does. Uh, but that can change based on what happens here this weekend. Yeah, I'm with you. Georgia, two out of three. Again, I feel like, I mean, congrats to them, but I do feel like the sweep of Mississippi State has lost its luster a little bit. And I don't think it says as much about the Ole Miss pitching 
as I think we thought at the time. Right. However, like you said, I mean, Georgia, Georgia did not win impressively against Missouri. So I could see a situation where they just bungle away a couple games in the series and Ole Miss takes it. LSU at Florida. I mean, this is just gargantuan very early in the conference slate. What do you have, Tom? I think I'm going to have to go Florida two out of three. Being in Gainesville, again, Mississippi State's struggling, but uh, impressive performance by Hightower. If they can continue to get just enough offense with that with that pitching staff, I'm going to go with Florida getting two out of three. Another situation where I kind of wish I knew what was going on tonight before mm-hmm. making this pick, but we love the tide, so we are choosing to watch basketball instead of recording this podcast super late. I am going to also take Florida two out of three. Very begrudgingly, I really, really want to take LSU. But I I think this is going to be a great battle. And I think finally, we're going to learn a lot about where Florida is and where they stack up top to bottom, both pitching and hitting. Because they've had some good weekends. They've had some bad weekends. Again, I feel like it's hard to really take a lot of lessons from sweeping Mississippi State with the way they're playing right now. We're going to know by the time we record next week, whether Florida is a part of that Alabama-Arkansas contingent to win the conference or maybe a step behind or maybe even further or maybe even ahead of those if they do sweep LSU. So there's a lot that we're going to find out this weekend. I'm surprised that's not Saturday, Sunday, Monday, but instead Saturday, Sunday, Monday is Alabama at Kentucky, Tom. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be – our traveling is going to be – wild we're leaving friday we're going to come home like tuesday so mm-hmm. apologies to our loved ones <laughs> we're just not going to be around this weekend well I, you know i'm i'm too old to drive through the night at this point so we're just we're going to stay in beautiful lexington for an extra evening and head on home tuesday and yeah it's it's it's, it's going to be wild get I know one thing, I've never been to Lexington and it not rain at some point, so I'm sure that's going to happen. Hopefully it won't affect actual game times or anything like that, but that's part of what you do when you have to go up to Kentucky in the relatively early part of the conference slate is you're going to have to deal with some some elements. Uh, it's not going to be as warm as we want it to be. I know that much. Yeah, you know, I agree with you about the driving through the night thing. If we're going to die in a fiery car wreck, it better happen after Oklahoma City. Okay, <laughs> we can't do we can't risk it during the regular season. Come on, no, Tom. Oh no, my gosh. What's your pick? Yeah, the the enigmas, we got you know, Kentucky, the always the enigma. We got Alabama in that frame right now because Alabama's still trying to figure out what the lineup is without Bailey Dowling. Um I think that Alabama a couple of Alabama's best players from the state of Kentucky, like you mentioned, Montana Fouts and Kaylee Tao. Uh, I look for them to both play really well here this weekend. Alabama usually does. Uh, it's sometimes some crazy games, but Alabama has had success whenever I've I've been there with the Crimson Tide. This will be our third trip up to Lexington. I am going to say Alabama wins two out of three. I think you can see one game kind of going going off the rails and that's the type of game Kentucky's can win. But I think if Alabama gets good pitching performances by either Faust twice or Faust once, Kilfoyle once or Kilfoyle twice, I think Alabama can win two low scoring games. And that's what I'm going to say. I feel like it's asking too much to get a sweep this weekend, considering also the opponent, this is a good Kentucky team, although they haven't been super tested and in their one conference series, they lost to Florida and weren't able to score very much. So I do think that if Kentucky wins, it's like a 2-1 kind of game. We also have to remember the last 
time these two teams played. Kentucky won two out of three in Tuscaloosa, and Autumn Humes looked pretty unhittable in that series, and she's back. So it'll be interesting to see what adjustments Alabama's made since a couple years ago against Humes. I'm not sure who else besides Humes I trust to maybe shut down the Alabama bats because Ballman has been fine, but that's about it. I do think Alabama wins two out of three, and uh, I am hopeful for more, but I think if you're a fan – and Alabama wins two out of three, you got to realize that that's pretty good considering the situation and anything more would, I think be really icing on the cake. Yeah, I totally agree. Even if you had Bailey Dowling and everything was as, as we were hoping it was going to be, I think it'd be tough to ask to go on the road to a place like Kentucky and win all three games. Uh, But I think you can definitely still win the series. And I think if you win two out of three, you're still in really good shape if you're Alabama. For sure. Just got to stay within two or three games of Arkansas by the time they sweep the whole conference. Be good. <laughs> it's time for off the wall, Tom. Alabama lost to Tennessee and, oh man, just people, people forgot that uh, I keep track apparently. And Hunter Letson tried to tell them and yet they still said the dumb crap. So please, Tom, lead off with your off the wall for this week. Uh, okay, my first uh, off the wall will be if you're going to write a novel in the comments, uh, complaining about the pitching for Alabama, which I'm amazed that you're doing that. But if you if you feel feel led to do that, maybe don't do that after the game that Alabama gets a complete game shutout. Maybe maybe you you hold that novel for the game when Alabama gives up seven, eight runs, which he may be holding on to that novel for a while. But how, like, it's part of the the whole thing that I say where people have their own pet criticisms and they're going to make them regardless of what actually happens, that they are going to say Alabama can't hit even when Alabama has 10, run, 10 hits in a ball game. They're going to say Alabama can't pitch after a complete game shutout. Um, it just, it makes no sense. Why, how? And why and how and why I don't again, I'm really hoping that these are not real Alabama fans, that these are people that have created burner accounts and are trying to troll us from Auburn or Knoxville or somewhere, because surely these are not real people. If if that's the case and we have been pranked and it's kind of hilarious, but if these are real people, just a word of advice about what you just said, Tom. If you have to start new paragraphs in your Facebook comment, it's too long. It's just the rule. It's too long. If you have to start multiple new paragraphs, find a publisher. Don't post it on Facebook. That's my thought what, on that. What, what is the, the acronym? Uh, T-L-D-R? Too long, didn't read? I think that's that's what we should do for all these people that will put these long paragraphs. And again, as I've said before, Facebook is not the the place to have these huge, you know, drawn out conversations. I because I guarantee you that if something doesn't go well, Patrick Murphy, Stephanie Van Brakel, Prothrow, Allison Habits are not checking the comments for advice about what to do next time. I promise you, they are not doing that. There is a great website called RoboCoach. That's where I go to read some of the conversation. If you want to post something there, go do that. Twitter is even better, but Facebook and 
Also, I think he this poster referenced it as a Facebook group. It's not it. It is a Facebook page for Alabama softball. This is not where the discussion happens. This is where you like, share, and find out information. You don't have intensive debates about softball strategy and about the game, as he said, and talking ball. It's just it's just yeah. not not what you do here because frankly, I just don't want to have to scroll that far to get to the next comment. You're you're giving me tinnitus in the finger or something i don't know if that's real but whatever you know what i'm talking about tom i think we're both referring to the same post and the ridiculous of it ridiculousness of it uh knows no bounds so that uh that that is my first off the wall do you what what is your off the wall here greg because i know you've had a few oh gosh this woman i'm just gonna say it's a woman now I used to keep it vague, but not anymore. I, it's, a, it's a lady. It is a lady who just won't shut up after losses, has never commented on a win, anything positive. If she has commented on a win, it has been, we still need more hits. And I have evidence of that in the notes. And it is always a comment after losses. After Friday, a brilliantly dumb comment. Our hitting has been horrible for six years. I just, I, that's just wrong. That's just incorrect. Alabama statistically was in the top of the SEC in most every offensive category, especially home runs and stolen bases in 2019 when they won the SEC. Now, granted, I will tell you, there were a couple down years. I remember it was my start of the program. And yet Alabama was still one of the final 16 best teams in the country. So the hitting couldn't have been horrible or that wouldn't have happened. And if you recall, Tom, Alabama got to super regionals in, a, in one of those years facing the top ERA pitcher in America in, in, uh, in Minnesota's Sarah Grunewagen. So that really bothers me. I just wish – I kind of want Nathan Sheehan to just block her on the Alabama Facebook page just so I don't have to see her anymore because I know she's not listening at this point and no one's called her out yet on Facebook. So I feel like no one actually knows who I'm talking about, but I, I just want this woman to go away. I'm, I'm tired of the negativity. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. You bring that up though. I do appreciate that there are now people fighting the good fight in the comments. They are doing it both about television uh, and where you can hear and see the games. And they are also calling out people for the just unnecessary negativity going all the way through. Again, I've, I've said it before. I will say it again. If everything that you ever post is something negative, you're not being a good fan. You're, you're being the opposite. It's not, you're not trying to have constructive criticism. You're not trying to do all this stuff. Uh, that's another reason why I'm hoping that some of these people are not actually Alabama fans, that they're, that they're trolls. And if something just bothers you so much and never brings you any joy, stop following it. Like if, if I was just pissed off all the time, I would find another hobby. Find there's so much else to do. <laughs> like just leave it alone. And then maybe if the hitting gets to the level that you think, someone will call you and you can get back on the bandwagon then. But just if if you never find any joy from watching Alabama play softball, do something else. I do have one more thing I want to add. I'm actually torn. There were so many options. Right. Uh, I've got another one too. You've got another one? All right, I'll do one more real fast. You know what? Somebody, it was very strange, and I'm actually, maybe I'm taking this wrong. Somebody called the team ladies, and a commenter, a 
a common frequent commenter, someone who actually might have been one of the first OG off the wallers that the podcast existed three or four years ago, commented back, way to go girls in all caps, as if God forbid this person had called the team ladies. Alexis Mack is 24. Blair Jenkins is probably 23, right? Uh, Bailey, I think, uh, is definitely 22, maybe 23. I think she is 23, actually. They're not girls. They're ladies. They're women. They are, I mean, they're definitely not little girls. And I also just don't know why the correction was needed anyway. It was just very strange. You know, there's no such thing as a lady tie, but these are ladies playing on the softball team. These are women who are just balling out. And I don't understand why someone even felt the need to do that on Facebook. It's just weird. It was just really weird. I just wanted to point it out. That also, it's not like these are 16-year-olds out there. Alexis Mack is about to be able to rent a car without paying astronomical insurance. And that is a highlight and a milestone. So congrats to her. It, yeah, these are all adults. All these, Everyone on the team can vote. It's like, I don't understand. They're not kids. You know, they're in college. And there is an element of, you know, college kids. But they're, they're adults. They're not girls. Some of this, I think, is also a little bit of the inherent sexism that still exists you know from some of the maybe the older men against against the the women were you know ncaa dealing with that right now with what happened with the men's and women's bubbles and the tournament for basketball so i think there's a little bit of that involved so it just yeah it i that rubbed me the wrong way too you you don't say that you know they're not girls they're they're ladies they're women they're they're softball players you know just they're athletes i mean athletes yeah all right, you've got 100%. one more time. Please go ahead. Well, this is a little bit of an offshoot of what my first one was, but I have had, uh, I saw some people, you know, commenting on particular Sefi Babreko pro throw, the pitch calling. Does she, you know, I can, I've had people at one point come up to me, literally come up to me and say, can you get me in touch with Steph? I want to show her this pitch. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Somebody like, came up to you and asked you that? Yeah, said, do you have Steph's number? I want to call her and let her know about this pitch that I threw when I was in, when I was a softball pitcher. And I'm like, I don't care how long you've been playing softball. I was like, I promise you, Steph knows every pitch that there is. I, I don't think that anyone will teach Stephanie Van Brakel pro throw about a, a pitch. If you're calling for a pitch to be thrown and it's not being thrown, I promise you there's a reason. The reason might be that the, the current pitcher isn't comfortable throwing that pitch. Maybe, you know, they are there. It's a team effort between, you know, it'd be silly for Steph to call pitches that Montana or Lexi are totally uncomfortable throwing, regardless of the situation. Um, so it's, it's just, it, it really, it, it, this, this might have something to do again with, with the sexism that I just talked about that, that there are the there are men that are you know in their 50s and 60s that and i'm not saying they don't know about softball and that they they don't know that they aren't great pitchers or they don't know all this other kind of stuff i'm not saying they don't know it but i'm telling you seth knows it too patrick murphy knows it allison habits knows it that they they know more about softball than any of us put together i i will i will defer to them as as opposed to you sir I'm flabbergasted that somebody said that to you. I'm shocked that that 100%. that is, Oh my gosh. I, that is indefensible. 
I, I don't get it. Also, I just want to add to something you said about, you know, some pitchers might not just feel comfortable throwing that pitch, but also varies day to day. I mean, sure. You know, some, some days Montana doesn't want to throw the rise ball because it just didn't feel right. And, you know, you just kind of got to roll with that. Some days, you know, she just doesn't feel good with the drop like Friday, right? You know, some days she's just missing her spots and maybe a pitch was called and Fouts missed last night. And she said, yeah, there was a situation on Friday where a spot was missed and Tennessee got a hit out of it. That's what happens. Yeah. Like, like it's one of the, the running jokes we have with Steph when, when usually we make these after a win, we will make this joke, but say the opponent hits a home run and we'll say, Steph, why'd you call that pitch? Why'd you call the home run pitch? Well, she probably didn't. The pitch probably didn't hit where it was supposed to because, Hey, guess what? Both those, the pitchers are human and there is, they're going to not hit it exactly where they're wanting to throw it every single time. The fact that they hit it where they're supposed to throw it the majority of the time makes them world-class athletes. I'm still just flabbergasted. Now it'd be a great time to use the Oprah. What (laughs) meme? Honestly, that's good stuff. Okay. We've got to go because yeah, we need to wrap up the show. Basketball. Here we go. Basketball. It's time. Roll Tide. Uh, we've got gear. I'm going to bring them. I'm putting it. I, it's already in the car. I'm going to show a video. I'm going to tweet it later. I will send proof it is in the car. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> okay. Tom, where can the people find you on Twitter? Uh, T Canterbury RTR is where I am on Twitter and uh, where you can see my bracket, which is now imploded. Uh, and uh, we're talking softball. We talk Bama. Uh, talk wrestling. We talk a lot of stuff. So check it out. T Canterbury RTR on the Twitter. And I am at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Follow the podcast at Out of the Box underscore pod. Thank you to our guests, Victor Anderson, Eric Lopez. Tom, any final thoughts before we get ready for a road trip to Lexington? (laughs) Here we go. Heading up to Lexington. We got all the podcasts ready to to listen to on the drive up and the drive back. Uh, Remember Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So uh, there won't be any games on Friday. That's when we're driving up. But Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and you can hear all the games in Tuscaloosa, 93.3 FM. Uh, And you can also hear it streaming at praise93.3.com. Download that Praise app, and that's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. If you have any other podcast suggestions, let us know. I've got Office Ladies queued up. Crime Junkie is always good. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different things we can listen to, but we, and of course, we'll listen to our friends at Seven Innings. Yeah, those are say Seven Innings, not. right, of course, um, yeah. But, you know, if there's circle, anything else sure we should we'll, listen to, let us know. I'm sure we'll get some in the circle in as well. Yeah, so there we go. Lot, lots to do. It's going to be a fun road trip, partner. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Is there a Bucky's on the way? I don't know. <laughs> if there is, we I think we maybe have added a couple hours to them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, that's it for this episode of Out of the Box. Again, thank you to our friends at In the Circle, Victor Anderson and Eric Lopez, for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Thank you, crazy listeners, for commenting dumb crap that we can make fun of on the show. Your support to us and to the team means the world, and your comments really do provide us with that extra 20 minutes of fodder for the other listeners to enjoy. Remember, we've got a game Wednesday, we hope, but mainly the Saturday, Sunday, Monday series against Kentucky. Tom and I will be on the road, on the radio all weekend long. The GoPro will be at the ready. It will be available on TV. I honestly don't know the TV schedule right now because I haven't looked at it. But you can watch, you can listen, you can keep track of the team in a lot of ways. So from our partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson saying so long. We've got a big road trip coming up, folks. We'll see you next time on the Outbox Podcast.